This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campus is joined with us over in Appleton and Stevens Point. Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning. Again, good morning to those over in Appleton and Stevens Point, as well as those who watch us all over the world on the internet, although my Facebook thing isn't working. Are we not live on Facebook? As our guys scramble in the back to figure it all out. Anyway, we're glad that you guys are here with us. We have finally wrapped up our series on the significant events of the Old Testament and launched into another series, kind of seeming the two together, talking about uh, our vision here at Celebration Church. Four key points. One, to know God. We want to help people find freedom. Three, to discover their purpose. And four, to make a difference. Now, originally, we had planned one Sunday for each one of these points, but I'm now into my third Sunday (laughs) on point three. The truth is I could do another one, but I'm going to try and wrap it up today so we can move on because the holidays are coming. All right. So the third point that we've been talking about is about discovering your purpose. Now, so far, we've discussed about your purpose. That's to do with what should I do? What should I do? Number one, don't let what you do define you. All right? A lot of people become obsessed by what they do, and they think it defines who they are. I use the example of, you know, guys who, you know, do whatever they're doing for a living, and then all of a sudden they lose their job, and they're devastated. They can't function anymore because, well, I was a mechanic, and I can't be a mechanic anymore. And, you know, I get men tend to do that uh, by nature, we very much key off of what we do for a living, which is hard for a guy to feel very good if he's working at something he hates, <laughs> but be patient, <laughs> work through it. But don't try to let everything that you do define you. We talk about super moms who they just love being a mom and everything's about being a mom. And then finally the kids move out as if they didn't see that coming. You know, it's, it's a very limited time frame and the kids leave and they're a mess. They're a disaster because they were a mom and now they can't be a mom and they're literally depressed. I don't tend to try to make fun of it because I'm sure the people listening to me right now, that's exactly where you're at. Why are you struggling so much? Because you let that totally define you. Uh, We need to be careful not to let those things define us. And in Christian ministry, there are people in churches who are doing a certain point of ministry in the church 
And uh, if they aren't allowed to do what they think they need to do, they are infuriated. How dare you touch the ministry God has called me to do? And they get mad. And, they, and instead of being a blessing, they become a curse. Instead of helping, they become a problem. And I've talked for years about that. Don't get so obsessed about what you do in the church. Uh, just look for your opportunities to serve where you can. Uh, we talked about <clears throat> what it means uh, to be a servant. And servants, uh, you know, are more flexible than all of that. In fact, we looked last week about what Jesus said about being a servant. I want to look at it again this morning. Luke, the 17th chapter, verse 7. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now, sit down and eat. And I talked about this last week. The truth is, in our culture, it's exactly what we do. But Jesus is saying the implication is, of course you wouldn't. In fact, he's implying it would be inappropriate to be nice to the servant. It's literally what he's saying. He says, won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, wait on me while I eat and drink? After you, that, you can eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told? The implication, of course not, and it would be inappropriate. Very shocking to our sense of, of, of culture because we would be thankful. And I guarantee you, I am very thankful to people who do anything for me uh, <laughs> because I just like people helping me out. And if you work in this church and serve in any way, we will be very thankful. Jesus is actually saying, you wouldn't do that. He's saying it to this culture. Would you do that? And everybody says, of course not. Would you thank them? That would be inappropriate. You know, that's what they're talking about when they're talking about servant in the Bible. What does a servant do? Number one, they do what someone asks them or tells them to do. Number two, they don't get thanked for what they did. And number three, they don't think very highly of themselves. All right? Which is what Jesus says. When you're done, uh, don't think anything but say we're unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. You know, that's what a servant is in a biblical sense. So when we come to serve in church, uh, and again, I'm just trying to inoculate us against this uh, idea that this is my turf, uh, because we've had this, you know, I've been in church work for over 40 years, and whenever the church, because things change. If things didn't change, there would have just been an organ and a piano up here this morning. And there wouldn't have been any great singer up there, just some guy going, la, 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 that's all we've done, right? Because that's what you do, and nothing would have changed, and you wouldn't be sitting in nice chairs this morning, you'd be in a pew, which is a good word for it, okay? Because they're uncomfortable, miserable things to sit in. Uh, but things change, ministries change. And when things start to change, people who are in certain areas, they're getting mad as a hornet. And they become insulted because they're not serving. No, they've, they've let what they do identify their spiritual sense. This is what I am. I'm a singer. I'm a this. And if you mess with any of these areas, these people tend to go nutso crazy on you and get really, really angry. Don't do that. All right? Always have the attitude. I am here. Whatever gifts I have, I am here to serve. Just tell me. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. That should be our attitude instead of putting up barriers that this is what I'm supposed to do. Don't mess with it. So when we talk about purpose, people inevitably think, well, what should I do? What should, what, what should I do? And people get obsessed with it. I've been talking about this for two weeks, about being so obsessed. What do I do? What do I do? God, tell me what to do. And that's not really the way it works. I want to look at uh, some scriptures this morning that will tell you what you should do. All right? Y'all ready for this? You're ready for the inside? I'm about to tell you what you should do. Here we go. Now, this is in Samuel, 
uh, the first, first Samuel chapter 10, and Samuel has come to the first king of Israel. God leads him out, and he anoints Saul. The next one is David, okay? David becomes the next king. Saul is a disaster for a whole bunch of reasons. We won't get into it. But he comes to Saul, and Saul doesn't know what he's talking about. And I'm a nobody, you know. And, and, and Saul is trying to encourage him, and he gives him a bunch of signs that when you get here, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. Like, you know, how does he even know this? One of the signs he says in verse 6, uh, the, these prophets are going to come down, and the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. So he says, when you see the prophets coming, all of a sudden you're going to get near them, and the Spirit of God is going to fall on you, and you're going to start prophesying just like they do. And you're going to be like, you're a different person. I mean, these are all supernatural things that's going to happen to Saul. Boom, 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 boom. Just to let him know that God is with him. All right? And then verse 7. And man, I wish we could get this seared into people's minds today, Christians today. Once these signs are, f- are fulfilled, once these signs are fulfilled, a lot of times God will show up and do very supernatural things for you to get you started in your faith. All right? But once they're fulfilled, this is what you ought to do. Do whatever. Everybody say whatever. whatever. There you go. That's what you're supposed to do. What should I do, Pastor? Whatever. Do whatever your hand finds to do because God is with you. Is once you've got these, now just go do it. You don't need a divine revelation for every little puking thing that you do. And I'm telling you, it's hard not to get that. We have, this has been so overemphasized in evangelical Christian, Christianity for 40 years. This, and I know it's the emphasis of trying, people trying to be spiritual and encourage people to be spiritual. But by the time you listen to these people, you think God tells them everything. And that you should wait for God to tell you everything. You have no, see, you guys don't have this problem because I've preached against this since day one. But you have no idea what it's like out in, uh, in other churches. They, these people are obsessed with, and the reason they don't do anything in their church is they're waiting for God to tell them what to do. Well, uh, what, what's your ministry? I, don't, I, I just went for God to tell me what to do. I just want to do what God, and they don't do anything. This is not good. We should not be sitting around waiting for supernatural things to happen all the time. Ecclesiastes, now this is Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, all right? Now, Ecclesiastes is really an entertaining book and disturbing at the same time when you read it because Solomon, at this point of his life, he's completely depressed. He is just totally depressed. You want to read one book in the Bible where somebody just totally, life sucks, this is it. If you're depressed and you want someone to encourage you, read that this morning. This will really lift you up because he's just, life is, why is he so depressed? Because everything he does succeeds. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to have that depression? <laughs> Remember, he's the wisest man that has ever lived. Can you imagine if you had always done the right thing all your life? How many of you geezers my age? Wouldn't you have wished to have stuck $1,000 into Apple when it first started? <laughs> they all became multimillionaires. Or what if you did that and Microsoft? And General Electric. And McDonald's when it first Would you, If you always knew the right thing to do at the right time. I mean, how many of us, especially guys my age, you think back and think, oh, man. <laughs> I wish I'd have done that, you know. I was in Maui, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago. Back then, property was cheap. <laughs> you go there today and go, dang. <laughs> I wish I wish I'd have coughed up 50 grand back then. You know why? Because it's worth millions today. 
Everything Solomon did turned to gold. In fact, he was paid, the Bible says, in tons of gold. Tons. <laughs> Holy cow. They were so successful. The whole nation, you talk about a run on the stock market, you know? This, this, things were going really well during Solomon's life. It was the best in Israel's history because this guy always knew the perfect thing to do. Wouldn't that be great to have? Man, oh man. Anyway, he'd been so successful and got everything he wanted. Some, and he got depressed. Listen to me, I know it sounds weird, but it's good for you to work for things. It's good for you to struggle a little bit. It helps you to learn, to trust in God, to grow in your faith, to appreciate things. If things just came easy to you all the time, it wouldn't be good for you as we see for, for Solomon. He just gets all depressed and stuff. Especially, I, I say this all the time about parents who pressure their kids to wait, 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 wait till they get married. Wait, wait till everything's perfect. That's the worst advice. First of all, I say, well, wait till you have enough money. Who has enough money? I still don't have enough money. If I had enough money, I may not be here this morning. No, I love being here. But I mean, who does, you know, and you're telling kids this. You're telling young people to wait. And they're waiting, wait, 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 until when studies show that the people who struggle the most early in their marriage are the ones who build marriages that last for a lifetime. Because what's going to happen after you tell them to get everything perfect in their home and their career and everything, eventually something's going to hit the fan. And when it does, they collapse like a deck of cards. Why? They've never had to struggle through anything. It's not good for people. Let these kids struggle. Don't always be <laughs> making everything easier. Anyway, that's the context here. So Solomon, this is, his, this is his encouragement at this point. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love. Because life basically sucks. All the days of this meaningless life that God has given you on the sun. All your meaningless days. In other words, just life bites. Just enjoy your wife. And for those of you who can't do that, life really sucks. All right? For this is your lot in life. What an encouraging word. And in your toilsome labor on the sun. And then the wisest man who ever lives tells you what you should do. Whatever. Everybody say whatever. whatever. What should I do, O oh Lord? Whatever. Whatever your hand finds to do. Do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead where you're going. <laughs> so he's basically just do the best you can because you're going to die anyway. Really an encouraging feller, this guy at this point. So, well, Pastor, he, he, was, he was depressed. So, can't, can't use that. Well, let's move on to the New Testament. We can spend all kinds of time in the Old Testament, but we need to really focus on the New. Colossians 3.23, God gives a revelation of what you should do. Y'all ready? Whatever. Whatever you do, just work at it with all your heart. That's working for the Lord, not for human masters. Why? Because in the context of being a servant, we're supposed to serve. Just do Whatever. Pastor, I'm waiting for God to tell me specifically what to do. I just read it to you. Whatever. Just find something and do it. Well, you can't just take one scripture in the New Testament. All right, here's another one. Colossians 3.17. And whatever. Everybody say whatever. Whatever you do. Whether in word, whether you're a good talker, like some guys in purple this morning, or a deed, doing things, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Yeah, but that was just Colossians. That's where else you got it? Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So 
whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So basically, the Bible teaches you what you should do is whatever. Whatever you can find. What does it say? Whatever your hand finds to do. Whatever your hand, in the next verse that we read, whatever your hand finds to do. Whatever you find to do. What opportunities do you have? And I've said this before and encourage young people, but all y'all, listen to me. People, you know, the big thing in America is we're such narcissists. It's all about me, 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 baby. Do what your heart tells you. Find your heart. <laughs> What's your dream? Follow your dream. I, I know what people are trying to say, and it's good to line up with your motivations, and I've talked about that more than anybody. But at some point, just find something. Look for your opportunities. Your dreams often aren't rooted in reality. Have you ever watched American Idol? Have you ever watched that? Does they even have it anymore? I don't know. I, I used to love the early parts of it when the horrible people would get up and sing. And it's hilarious. And when the judges can them, they get mad. This is my dream. My friends say I'm a good singer. And I always think, man, you need new friends because you suck. And this is my dream. Do you know how many people have the dream of being a famous singer? How many musicians? And there's probably only five you can think of on, in your mind at any given time. It's extraordinarily rare. You talk about one percenters, it's way less. It's a point, 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 zero, one. But their whole life, they're obsessed trying to do what they have a dream for, and they don't do anything with their lives. They're stuck chasing a dream. Pastor, what should we do? Man, look for your opportunities. Follow your opportunities. What opportunities do you have? What? Because God will open doors for you. It's all leading you. God will lead and direct your path. How does he do that? Giving you opportunities. People say, Pastor, what should I do? I don't know. What opportunities do you have? Well, I could do this. Well, pick one. Go do something. That's how God has always led me. People say, oh, Pastor, I, I love that God spoke to you to do this, or God spoke to you to come to Green Bay, or God spoke to you to pastor this church, or God spoke to you to... That didn't happen to me. Apparently, I'm not that spiritual. So how do you do? Because it was the only opportunity I had. I'm telling you, the way God has always led me, and I've said this before, I'll say it again. It's like he closes every door and window in the house, lights the house on fire, and opens one door. <laughs> I think I'll go this way, you know. Those are opportunities, opportunities that pop up, that come out of nowhere. It's called the leading of God. I've told you stories about how God would lead this and when God called me up and something amazing would happen and this door and opportunities. It's always been that. Just look for your opportunities. I have come to people and offered them great opportunities in ministry, young people over the years. And they just, well, I don't know. I don't know if that's really what, what God wants me to do. Do you have any other opportunities? No. Hello. <laughs> and they just waste their time and get stuck in a... Same spots, wheels spinning. Just look, whatever your hand finds, what can you find to do? What opportunities do you have before you? So you're saying well, we don't have to actually worry about anything specific about my gifts? No, no, you know. I think you should use your gifts and abilities. But again, don't get obsessed by what it is that you do. Now in 1 Corinthians, Paul starts talking about how in the church, 
we do have different gifts and abilities. And that's really what the point of this message was supposed to be about. <laughs> about finding your gifts and, and abilities and using them for the kingdom of God. And in our growth track, you know, not everybody has, a, has been through that yet, but you want to sign at some point, you want to sign up for our growth track because one of the things that we'll do is we'll show you there's things that we have in there to help you discover your gifts and abilities. And using your gifts and abilities help you find the kind of thing that you should be doing. Again, not to be obsessed about it, not to be proud about it, not to be arrogant about it, not to be defined about it, not to defend it, but to be a servant with your gifts and abilities. So Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He says, just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. There are distinctions based on your skills and abilities. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, but because I'm not an eye, I guess I don't belong, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, really creepy looking, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, what would be the sense of smell? Where would be the sense of smell? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And if, uh, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. You know, we all see our heads and our eyes and stuff, but if you didn't have feet, you wouldn't get around. <laughs> all right? If you didn't have arms, you couldn't grab things. Um, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, <laughs> oh, God help us, are treated with special modesty. In other words, there's parts of you you shouldn't be showing to anybody. Somebody say amen. amen. I believe I have discussed this in the past. People are obsessed with these cell phones. Let's show you this. Click. Let's not do that. No, no, no. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And this is really true. You ever stub your toe? I mean, your toe is really hurting. You'd be amazed how, much, how miserable it makes everybody else. It makes the hand miserable, it makes the ear miserable, it makes the eye miserable, the brain miserable, everything, because you can't hardly get in the toe, it's hurting. All it takes is for one party to go sideways and all of it is miserable. And sometimes some of the smallest little parts of your body you wouldn't think should matter that much, but holy cow, it can create quite the problem. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Of course, the analogy is very, very clear. You say, well, you know, I can't sing, so I guess I got nothing to do in the church. Or, you know, I can't preach like Pastor Mark. I, I hate me standing in front of people. I, I guess I, I don't fit in. I'm not as important. No, everybody's important. 
There's nobody here that's more important than anybody else. We are all varying parts. It is all these different skills and abilities that God has brought together that creates the body of Christ. But we all need to do our part is the point here. Paul talks about this again in Romans, the 12th chapter. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, which is consistent with the concept of being a servant. What did Jesus say about a servant? He should just do what he's told to do. Don't expect to be thanked for it. You don't thank them. And he shouldn't think anything special. He just did what someone told him to do. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and the members do not all have the same function, again, this is what we're reading, so in Christ, though many, so we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So, and then he goes on to make it clear, he says, for we have different gifts, according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, what does that mean? It's prophesying, it's talking about speaking under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, if your gift is that, then do it within accordance to your faith. If your gift is serving, well then serve. If it's teaching, well then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. There's people that actually have the financial gift. There's people that are just really good. Everything they touch turns into money. And they're really good at it. Well, what's my gift? Well, apparently, it's making money. What should you do with it? Be generous. Well, I want to be. Well, then you're not using your gift. If it's to lead, do it diligently. Work at it, work at it hard. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. <laughs> I kind of get a kick out of that. Why would you have to show mercy? You know what mercy is? It's giving people a break. I'll give them a break. Give them a break. At some point, you give people enough breaks, and, and at some point, you, you just want to strangle them. <laughs> right? Because sometimes we get caught in patterns, and we just keep doing the same dumb thing over and over again. And now I keep cutting them a break. Oh, it'll drive me crazy. Well, if that's your gift, then do it. Do it cheerfully. All right? Cut people slack. Do it cheerfully. Be a blessing to them. We all have various gifts. The big question is, what is your gift? That's the purpose of the growth track. We want to help you discover that. Specifically what you do, whatever. All right? Whatever. What can you find? What can you do? What opportunity? Whatever your hand finds to do, do it. But you can't do it if your hand's just laying in your lap and just waiting for God to tell you what to do. And by the way, always be careful with that. You say, Pastor, don't you believe that God will speak to you? Yeah, of course I do. I just think it's the exception, not the rule. Just like God came to Saul and did all these amazing things and did later as well. That's not the basic rule. The basic rule is whatever your hand finds to do. Then God will lead and guide you. He's a big boy. He knows how to talk to you. All right? But don't, I mean, people have so abdicated their responsibility in the kingdom of God using this idea that has been promoted so heavily in Christianity, just do what God tells you to do. And by all means, if God tells you to do it, do it! But if he's not giving you specific instructions, I don't think that's the norm that he gives you specific instructions every day, all the time. Do whatever your hand finds to do. Last week I told you about the fellow that I was talking to. He said, you know, he wanted prayer because he was feeling guilty. 
I, of course, asked questions. Why are you feeling guilty? Turns out he had moved here from Texas uh, and uh, he's living with somebody else's wife. I said, well, yeah, you should feel guilty. You know, I know the whole thing today, so many churches, you know, we don't want anyone to feel guilty. Really? I think what they're trying to say is we don't want people to feel condemned because when you feel condemned, that means you feel bad and there's no hope. We don't believe in that. There's always hope. But sometimes you feel bad, you should feel bad because you're doing bad things. I've told you this before. You know who doesn't feel bad? A psycho. <laughs> they don't, if you look it up, they have no, no sense of, they never feel bad about anything. They don't feel bad about anything. These people go around killing people and stuff. They're nut jobs. They never feel, they're the kind of people that can take a cat, put it in a microwave, watch it burn up. Horrible things. They torture animals. And they do that to people. They never feel bad. I don't think Jesus has called us to turn into a bunch of psychos who never feel bad. Say, Pastor, do you ever feel bad? Oh, yeah. Fairly regularly. Why? Because I often say things I shouldn't say or react in ways I shouldn't react. I know it's hard for you to imagine. And then I feel bad. And we're supposed to feel bad. It's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. This obsession in so many churches, we never want anyone to feel bad, is ludicrous. Of course we should feel bad. Anyway, so this guy, he's feeling bad and tells me, you know, what he's doing. I said, of course you should feel bad. Stop. I said, didn't you come from a church down there? Well, yeah. Did you tell your friends what you were planning on doing? Well, yeah. You told them you were going to come to Green Bay and move in with this lady who's married to some other guy. Yeah. What did they say to you? He said, well, they just said, just do what God tells you to do. Oh, I'm telling you, I have such a short fuse for that. Probably too short. I'm sure I probably overreacted to this a bit. But I'm just telling you, I've seen this in her. It makes me crazy. You mean those people down there didn't have the sense God gave a rock? When someone comes to them, I mean, come on, you could walk into most bars with people who've never been to church in their lives and say, you think I should go move in with somebody else's wife? Nah, that's probably not a good idea. You know what I'm saying? Even they, even they have enough sense to say that. But we have people today that their only response, well, just do what God tells you to do. So I go, okay. So whatever thought's flying in his mind, he comes up here and gets in this. I say, you need to go back home. Praise God, he did. Stop this nonsense. And by the way, if you're looking for help and you go to someone and you give them the struggle that you're having and their only response to you is do what God tells you to do, get away from them. These are not helpful people. It sounds so spiritual. These are people who fear to make a decision, fear to take responsibility, fear to give anybody advice. This is not helpful. When someone comes to ask you for advice, you should reach into your soul, ask God for wisdom, and give them some advice. So I'm not sure it's the right thing to say. Well, just say, listen, I, all I can tell you is what I think I should tell you. you know, the Bible talks about a gift of wisdom. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will come and give you wisdom. You'll have wisdom to say something. You didn't even know you had the wisdom. But this cop-out of just, oh, just do what God tells you to do is not helpful to people. All right? We should be working there for each other, be there for each other. Someone comes asking you for advice, and if you honestly don't know what to do, take them to someone you think would. So, you know, honestly, I got to be honest with you. I have no idea. I never heard of such a thing. Let me bring you over to Fred here. Fred, he's been around for a while. You know, and let them speak into their life. All right? This idea that everything has to be at some spiritual level before you function and do anything and know the right thing to do is not accurate biblical teaching.
The Bible's pretty clear about right and wrong. Here's what you should do. Do the right thing. Avoid the wrong thing. Well, what about specifically? I'll tell you, whatever. What can you do? Where can you fit in? What opportunities do you have? What skills and gifts do you have will help you discover those in our growth track? And once you've got a sense of that, then look around and say, well, where, where can I plug in? And just find a place in my, and look for God. And then that's when God often shows up to direct you. Do you, do you know, a, I got a boat, okay? I've actually figured out how to drive it. It's been years. I almost gave up because I couldn't park the stupid thing. Docking was like a nightmare for me. It was, you know, if women and children are running for the light, he's coming in, ah! Yeah. But I finally, I finally got it down, man. I just, I'm kind of the envy of the marina right now. Well, look at him, because I got training wheels on the boat. But anyway, yeah, I got thrusters now so I can make it move wherever I want. Funny, got the handle. But, but you know a boat, the rudder on a boat doesn't do anything if it's not moving. I can sit there on the dock and go, it's worthless. But when it's going 25 miles an hour, which is about as fast as that old boat can go, you start going, you're in for a ride. You know what I'm saying? Not small, small movements is all it takes. Because now it's affected because it's moving. If you're not sure, just start moving. And then let the Holy Spirit kick in your rudder. Guide and direct you. See the opportunities he has for you. All right, I'm done. <laughs> I'm, I'm over my time. I think you all get it. You're great people. I'm going to ask all the ushers to come forward at our various campuses as we get ready to go into our time of communion. During communion, what is communion about? Communion is about remembering what Christ did for us. Jesus said, when you do this, do this in memory of me. Why did he have us do this? Because we've got really short memories. We often forget, right? So we've got to constantly remind each other. Even these sermons say, well, Pastor, I've heard some of these things before. Right. And you're going to hear them again. Why? The Bible says we should keep reminding each other. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. Why? Because we just forget. We get sidetracked. And, we... and it's easy sometimes to forget what all of this is about. What is all this about? This is about knowing God, our very first point. Not knowing about him, but actually knowing him. And when we take communion together, it's the chance to stop, to pause for a moment and reflect. All of this is about Jesus. God so loved the world, he sent his only son into the world. That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus Christ on that cross allowed his body to be broken so we could be whole. He allowed his blood to be shed that could wash away all of our sins. This is about celebrating and remembering forgiveness. It's by encountering Christ that we experience eternal life. Do you know him? So I know about him. I've gone to church all my life. No, no, no. Do you know him? Have you truly encountered the living Christ this morning? I'm going to ask us all to bow our heads and everybody on our campuses as well. And I'm going to pray a prayer together. If you've never truly surrendered your life to Christ, if you'll pray this prayer, this could be your beginning steps of actually experiencing God in your life. Let's pray this together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God, that you loved me so much, you went to the cross and took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. 
I now surrender myself to you. Amen. Amen.